If he's here and we believe he is, he's here to do great things. Aren't aren't we a privileged people today to be able to be allowed to be in the presence of Almighty God? Amen. Certainly greet each of you today in the name of the Lord. We welcome the visitors that are here with us and so glad to have some of the home folks able to be back in church again. So good to see so many maskless people. Those of you that still feel you need to wear them, we want you to to wear them. That's what you feel you need to do, but I sure like seeing them. (laughs) Y'all been doing it for months, but I just haven't seen it or heard it. You know, the Bible says, make a joyful noise. Ah. Hummingbirds are good, but we like hearing folks say amen. amen and praise the Lord and hallelujah. Let's turn today to Genesis chapter 24, if you would. We've been looking at the the church and the reconciliation of that church through the mystery of our Lord Jesus becoming one of us and emptying himself out to become a man through the act of kenosis, typing it with Rebecca and Isaac in the last, how many ever parts have been dealing with it, but looking at the uh, order of the Jewish marriage and the different steps of that, the lawyer or friend that would come and make the arrangements, the gifts that was given by the bridegroom, gifts given by the father, Today we'd like to look at another one of those, continue on the same thought that we were looking at last Sunday. And we'll read uh, verse 51 through verses 53. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go. Let her be thy master's son's wife. Master's son's wife. And it's not plural, but possessive. Master's son's wife as the Lord hath spoken I find this very amazing because he don't even know what God has actually said but he's taken this servant's word for it that God led him so the servant has not said anything yet that God said God said God said God said but Laban believed that it was what God had said by the way this all had come about. So he believed apparently that there was a divine purpose and that it was said of God even though God hadn't really wrote it. So you couldn't find no scripture where God actually said that. But it was wrote out in the life of Eliezer wrote out in the life now of Rebecca, and they accredited it and attributed to being God's word. 
The word made manifest in the human life is the word expressed. That's what it is. As the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass that when Abram's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah, which was the Matan. This is the gift from Isaac to his bride. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things, which is the bride price. And then the shiluhim, or the dowry, is that which the father would give to the bride on her journey to her husband. I mean, I'd like to be remembered today as we pray. Father, we count it such an opportunity, and we want you to know that we are so grateful today, Lord, that we could be gathered together again. Lord, just hearing about the wonderful service here Wednesday night, and we want to thank you for what you've done. Several folks were healed, and the word, God, we just so appreciate you being in our midst. And here we come again today, and guess who shows up? Almighty God. Thank you, Lord, because it's fulfilling your word. You told us if we would gather together like this, that you would come in a special way. We're thankful, Father, that we still have a desire to come to the house of God. Different ones that Brother Harvey has already mentioned. Lord, being here with us today, the visitors, but also the home folks have been able to come back. Just so good to see them, Lord. How we think in our own hearts one day. When we'll gather in the great paradise of God, that table will be spread for thousands of miles long when the great marriage supper of the Lamb will take place. We'll reach across the table, take a hold to one another's hands. The tears will trickle out of our eyes. And all of a sudden, the Lamb will walk out, take His robe, pull it in his hand and reach over and wipe the tear out of our eyes and say, don't cry no more, child. It's all over. Well done. Lord God, we desire to hear those words more than anything in our lives. Help us today, I pray. Father, speak to us your word. Give us those things which will help us in our journey. Give us of our heavenly dowry you, Father, know what each of us have need of. And you saw the hundreds of hands that were uplifted. It signified need, some large, some very, very small maybe. But, Lord God, you know them all. Speak to us today, Father, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Thank you. How many believes our Father has a purpose in our lives? Amen. You know, this purpose can be multi-aspect or it can be multi-layered. The divine purpose of God contains so many things in a child of God's life. Some children of God will never, no doubt, reach the spiritual 
acclaim and the spiritual aptitude that others will. They'll always be that in the economy of God. There always has been and always will. I was sitting with a certain minister some time ago, and this minister began to talk about different things he'd been through in life. And he was talking about experiences that he had had with the Lord and on his journey to the Lord and just with other people. And he began to cover a span of several years of his life. And as I sat there and listened to him, I thought, what an interesting life that he'd been allowed to live. And he had one story after another, after another, after another. And then I began to think about myself and I thought, I hope he doesn't ask me to tell what interesting things I've been through. Because I looked at my life in retrospect and just comparison to his life, and I thought, what a simple man I really am. And what a simple life that I've lived. Now, this man was not bragging or boasting or anything like that, just sharing what the Lord had done with him, for him, and through him. But as I compared my life to his, I thought, my goodness, if he'd want my life story, and if he was to sneeze about the time I started telling it, by the time he took his hand away from his nose, he would have missed the whole thing. Now, I'm sure that I'm not the only one here today in this building that would more than likely feel that way about your life. You see, we read of the great people in the Bible and read and know of great people in in our day. I count it a great honor from God that some of the greatest men of God of this hour are my friends. I not only call them friends, but they call me a friend, which is really something. But I say that because I believe it's true. But we know that God, no matter how great, if we wish to use that word, that we would think people's lives are. And we would look at this life, Rebecca, and she walked up to the well that day with probably not a great motive, a great ambition. She's, as we know already, about 16 years old. By that age in life, you're not even capable mentally to tap that part of your brain that allows you to do the great analysis and look at things. That's why that teenager, 16, 17, 18, 19, even up to about 21 or 22, whether you're male or female, You're not able to tap into that part of your brain. So I know many of you young people, you're 15, you're 16, and I know you think you know it all. But according to science, you don't. Some of you who are 20, some of you who are 60 think you know it all. But yet we know that her life 
more than likely was a very simple life. 16-year-old girl, she was not accredited of being much of anything so far. She was one who had her care of her father's sheep. She was one that lived, no doubt, a very simple, humble, pastoral type of life. But little did she know this day that life is going to change. I can just imagine her as it was a regular, let's say, Monday. And no great plans, no great motives, no great objectives in life, which is the way the majority of God's people start out. Abraham was that type of a man. No great motive, no great ambition. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? Noah was exactly that same type of a man. William Branham, born in the hills of Kentucky, not too far from where I was born. I've been there to his birthplace, just a little hill on the side of the road there near Berksville. The cabin done gone, the remnants of a home place gone. No doubt his family is grandparents, when they heard a boy was born, they thought, well, just a little hillbilly boy, nothing will ever happen great in his life. But just a little bit after he was born, a heavenly sign comes down. And as the father opens up, not even a glass like this or in these doors, but a wooden frame door and opened it up and a supernatural visitation began. So it shows that God has a program, a purpose for each of our lives. None of us will ever attain, of course, to the lives that Brother Branham had. Little did Rebecca know that day when she would walk up there and meet this man, his message would change her life forever. She's 16 years old. They married early in this time frame. No doubt she already uh, had young men of the camp or young men in this area of Haran that were interested in her. She was a beautiful young woman. And her father apparently was a man of wealth, had camels, she asses, donkeys, and so on. Others were flirting probably with her. And she might have thought, I wonder if I'll marry him or marry this one or marry that one and I'll just be a wife and have children and then I'll get old and I'll be a grandmother. It's amazing how our plans and life can be very similar to God's and yet so far away. It was God's purpose for her to be a wife. It was God's purpose for her to be a mother not of two or three, but of millions. There's no way she could have ever thought, as we say, in her wildest imagination, what lay before her this day. She'd went to this place, to the well, many, many times. As a matter of fact, the Bedouin type of people start sending their children out with the sheep when they are seven or eight years old. 
The boys will go with her fathers when they get old enough to walk. No doubt she had been many times. The sun was exactly in the same place in the horizon. The arid dry temperature, she had felt it since she was a wee little girl. But this day, an angel of God had already been there in preparation. Now, let me draw your memory back to the scripture that we read last week in Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And you remember the word there that I shared with you, that purpose actually means, and that is the shoe bread. Now, it still might seem mysterious to you, but the shoe bread was the 12 loaves of bread that was given in the Old Testament in the tabernacle and also in the temple. Now, I want you to remember that when God gave them the first temporary structure for them to be able to gather in, it was called a tabernacle. It was also called the tabernacle of witness or of testimony. And it was called many different names, but when they moved it and it came, became into another form or another structure, it was called the temple. It was a transitional time, a change of something. As Jacob built an altar or a stone, whenever he went to sleep and fell upon this stone, and the next morning after having a supernatural dream, he awoke out of the dream and said, this is none other than the house of God. So he called it Bethel. Jacob comes back years later and worships God in this same place and calls it El Bethel. God, the house of God. Isn't it amazing though when they got ready to build a temple they never built the temple at Bethel. They never set up the tabernacle at Bethel, but they chose by the leadership of God another place. Now you see what we see God doing is that when God makes change and transition, we either transition with him or we get left behind. Now people who wanted to go back to Bethel and worship when the tabernacle was the place of worship, they were out of sync with the move of God. Is that right? This is why it's so important that we don't stay under Luther's message or under Wesley's message or under the message of Pentecost or even the early introductory days of this message that we are in. Why? Because the light keeps shining brighter and unfolding into a more perfect day and we are changing from glory unto glory, from Bible experience to Bible experience. Now, God then wanted the, the table of the shewbread, and it was actually called the king's table. And I showed you a picture of it there that God gave direction for Moses how to make it. And there was detail called the crown. And it was up like this. And it set right up on the very angle around the top. And then the 12 loaves of bread, which were set there, which I won't show you the picture again today, since most of you nearly starved to death, I understand, from last Sunday when I preached it. So you'll just have to do it by memory. 
And then there was a handbreadth and there was another piece of detail crown that went down this way. So it was a crown, a crown king pointing down the humanity and a crown king pointing up, which was deity. And the shoe bread was brought in uh, one, one time a week and there it laid in the presence of God and then they replaced it every seven days and the priest ate the bread that was there. It was not stale, it was not hard because it was kept by the presence of God. But this bread was called the shoe bread or show bread, not show off, show bread. Now you see, bread is a blending together of a gift of God and the works of man. Now we know there are no bread trees or are no trees where we go out and pick bread, but we do, by the grace of God, have grain. So we have wheat and rye and oat and corn and so on and so on, but yet it takes God's life in order to produce that grain and then our sisters will go to the grocery store and make their own, and they will grind that up or buy it, and they will mix it together, whether it's the meal or the flour. So it takes the gift of God and the work of man in order to make bread. Don't you understand every tape that you listen to from the prophet of God, what is it? We call it bread. What is it? It's the gift of God plus the studying and the surrendering of that prophet of God in order to produce bread for us to feed on. Every man of God that steps in this pulpit and brings us bread, it is the gift of God, the gift of God in his life, the gift of God by the Holy Ghost will inspire that man with a thought. He will start studying on it, studying on it, putting it together, putting this scripture here, this quote there, and his works plus God's gift merged together produces what? Sustenance for you to be able to be sustained by so it is called then the showbread or the bread of his face. Now they also called it the bread of his face. It is not in the inner court, but in the outer court. So the face of God is in behind the holy veil and the bread is before his face face. So it was bread that was put on display. Nobody else could eat it. Nobody else could ever even taste of it except for the priesthood of God. So then Paul chooses this word to place before us the great divine purpose of God. That all things work to good to them that love the Lord. Now I don't mean that we'll understand how all them things will work. I've sure been there a lot of times haven't you? I didn't understand it at all. I'll never forget it several Several, several years ago, I was talking to Brother Charlie Cox down in Kentucky and I'd called him. Been a while since I'd talked to him. I said, hey, Brother Charlie, how you doing? He said, well, I'm on the bad side of Romans 8, 28. Now, after talking to him a little bit, I found out he was going through this sickness or that or whatever more it was. But you realize whether it's sickness or it's health, whether it's good times or bad times, God can still make all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord. 
Now you see, the believer never needs to be distraught or really be overwhelmed by fear when we are going through something that will be on the bad side if we'd set that way because we can have this confidence that God is always at work in our life and that God will work things for his own great purpose. You believe that? So there's two reasons then that God will do this and first is for his honor and glory and also for our good. Now it's strange how that God will take bad things, transform those things through temperance and through patience and through faith and through prayer and God will change them and turn them into something that is actually good for a believer. Now the world looks at it and says, well it's absolutely crazy. Well, they're just not eating the bread that we're eating up. So you see, God's plan will absolutely succeed. And the purpose of God for each one of us here today, it would be as diverse as the people that are here. Then we'd multiply that by many, many hundreds because there's hundreds and hundreds of people around the world that'll be streaming now and then those will go back and archive it. So whether you're in China, Australia, New Zealand, wherever you are around the world, each one of you have a divine purpose in your life. You believe that, saints? And that purpose is not really for us to just say, well, I don't like this and I don't want that. I don't want what God wants me to be. No, the thing is for us to be able to submit our hands, our eyes, our mouth, our life, everything that we have under the care of Almighty God. I love the way Brother Random deals with this and why Christ speaks. God has got a purpose for you being here. If you can only be, get to that place, oh, how much trouble you save God and yourself too. Now think of it, so God has a purpose for every man, woman, boy, and girl. Some will preach, some will sing, uh, some will do this and that and the other, but nobody can take your place. Now, no matter how small you may think you are today, how insignificant you may think you are, if God has a purpose for your life, I don't care the greatest preacher in this message, the man who has the biggest ministry, whoever that would be, absolutely cannot take your place. And you should not desire to take their place. So notice he says that if you can only be or get to that place, how much trouble you save God and yourself. Now, if Satan cannot stop us from coming to the Lord Jesus and giving our lives to him, then he will try to mess up the purpose of God in our lives. So where that we think, well, I think I ought to do this for God. And no, 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 I think I ought to do that. Now, he knows the plan of God is such an important thing that if we get out of that will of God for our lives, he cannot stop us from being saved, but he can stop the flow of the blessing of God on our life. This is why some folks struggle after they become a Christian. And it seems like nothing they ever do becomes blessed by God. But if you'll find that place, whatever it is, and walk in that place, no matter how small it is, that doesn't matter. Will all of our sisters in the end time be a Rebecca? 
Will they be a mother of millions? No, they won't. Will all of our brothers be a great Jacob and they will become wrestling with God? They will not. Some of you, you may never stand behind this pulpit. Many of you have been here for decades. Some of you were even part of this church before I came here. Some of you have moved here and you've been here for years and years. And many of you have never stood behind this pulpit. And it's a good thing. Because if brother, one of these brothers asked one of you brothers to come up and pray, we'd be doing your funeral on Wednesday night. It'd scare you to death. Right? As a matter of fact, some of you brothers come to these song leaders and say, don't ask me to pray. I cannot do it. And they will honor that request because some people just aren't called to do so. And some of you sisters, oh, you sing like a mocking bourbon, and you're making your bread for your youngins and you're frying their eggs and their bacon and you sweeping the floor and boy, you're just a humming and just a singing along. But if we was to ever ask you to come and sing, Lord have mercy, it would probably scare you to death. Well, you know what? God doesn't gift everybody to be able to stand up before the people and sing and preach and testify and so on. Is that right? But that doesn't mean those who do not do it are not just as important and vital to the body and to the economy of God. That's exactly right. Let me tell you something, friend. For those of you who feel like you're so unimportant and have no value at all, if the Lord Jesus called you and saved you, you are of great worth and there is great value in your life. But we tend to compare ourselves among others and well, I've never done this and and I've never done that and I probably never will. I'll never amount to nothing. You shouldn't say that. You should find what God wants you to do do and be there and be content in that spot and say, I am so happy that I'm part of the economy of God. I may not be a great singer, a great preacher, great this and that and the other, but apparently God knew that I didn't need to be, but I'm going to be the best I am that I am. I'm going to be the best church member. I'm going to be the best laity. I'm going to do everything God has called me to do. And Brother Donnie can't take my place. Brother Ron Spencer, Brother Branham, Paul, Peter, James, John. Nobody can take my place. It is my place. Notice this again in reproach for the cause of the word. Every man that comes to Christ must first be child trained for the purpose that God has ordained you for. Now watch this. The purpose that God has ordained you for, so it may be decades and decades. As a matter of fact, I just read it day before yesterday where Brother Renham said that God sometimes will train his men for years and years to get six months of service. You imagine God molding and shaping John the Baptist and allowing that man to be an odd sort of a man and his birth and his makeup and all that he went through and use the man for six months of service and yet the Lord Jesus said of all those prophets in the Old Testament, there was not one of them greater than John the Baptist. But we think in our mind, my, there's no way that God would, would turn a man just for that long of a time. Why? Because we don't understand what great is. And some men, God will use them for decades and decades and decades. And there's other men that God, like John the Baptist, used for six months. Think of it, friends. That Brother Branham was 56 years old whenever the Lord took him. In a few months, I'll be 65. 
I got my letter this week from Social Security that I'm signed up for Medicare. What y'all think's funny about that anyhow? Well, here I am. I'm older than Brother Branham was when he passed. Look how many more good years that we would say was left in Brother Branham's life. But yet God, in his own wisdom, chose to take him from the earth. Is that right? And you look at many different ones and we say, well, why would God do this and how come God would do that? I'm convinced there's much about the purpose of God in our lives and even the lives of our family members that we will not understand till we get to the other side. And who knows when we get to the other side if we'll even care or not. It'll all be right then. We know that for sure. But notice this, then God will child train an individual and God will mold them and shape them. That's why that is so important and vital that we find the will of God for our life because sometimes there's something in us, in our makeup, that will make us crave and hunger and desire a different position than what the plan of God wants for us. We all know people who's like that and it never works. It never actually culminates into any thing and it causes nothing but trouble and yet they want it they want it so bad they can taste it but yet you look at their life and you see that God has never child trained them for that particular position so when they get in there they cause this mess that mess this gum that gum and it just winds up being an absolute mess the whole time there's there But if we can find that purpose which God child trained us for, then we will fit right in synchronization of the very plan of God. To be what? To be the showbread of his face. Now you say, Brother Donnie, what do you mean? What I'm meaning is simple. It's this. There are people here today and, and streaming us that your life is God's bread put before his face and you are showing by your life the way you live that you are put on display. It is the bread of God in your life. So God placed the predestinated seed in you. God called men, but they brought the word and the word gave you a word burst and there you're feeding on the word and as you said under a ministry feeding on the word and you're taking that word in you and you're manifesting that loaf, your loaf of bread. Oh, you said, but I'm nothing but a housewife. That's what God wanted you to be. If God wanted you to be a woman preacher, then God would have ordained women preachers. Well, praise the Lord. If God wanted you to be a singer or this and that and the other, God wants you to be a deacon or a trustee, then God would have given you the ability to do so. So God child trains the child and he will bring up that child in the way that will please him. Notice then, Brother Bram said, every man that comes to Christ must first be child trained for the purpose that God has ordained him for. And remember, if you could just keep quiet, remember he's called you for this and there's nothing that can keep it from happening. There's nothing that can keep him from happening. There's not enough devils in torment. But what God's will will be made manifest. You're born for a purpose and nobody can take your place. Oh, praise God. 
Friends, we don't need to worry about value. I'm not as important. I'm not as big. Get that out of your mind. What's important is you're called for a purpose of God. Forget, well, nobody knows my name and then nobody this and that and the other. He does. He's the one that really matters. We need to lift out of this, this thing to where I've never done nothing for God. I'll never be nothing for God. Don't say that. That is garbage. That should not come out of your mouth. You are called by God for a divine purpose. Amen. Notice this. Look at Dwight Moody's conversion. And many of those, you see, just one little old woman, a little old wash woman with a message on her heart to do something for God. And she rented an old livery stable and got a minister to come down and preach. Now think of it. The woman could preach. The woman was not called to preach the word, but she had a burden on her heart. Well, what did she do? Now, if she'd have got up there and said, glory to God, I'll tell you one thing. We need to bring the loss to Jesus. Glory to God, glory to God. Sat down, sis. But God wanted this woman to have a part. Now think of the love and the mercy of God. Dwight Moody. D.L. Moody, a man that was renowned, famous as we would call it. And God wanted this little woman. You imagine whenever the rewards are handed out and D.L. Moody stands up there before God and gets all the rewards for all the things that he'd done. And this little simple washwoman walks up there and the Lord God says, and you, sister, you are identified with these millions. So she washed clothes, she made biscuits, she fried bacon, she fried ham meat, made gravy, red-eye gravy, and done all them things. And maybe thought, God, what have I ever done? What have I ever amounted to, Lord? Notice this. She rented an old livery stable and got a minister to come down and preach. And nobody but a little old boy with hair hanging down his neck and his daddy's suspenders on went down there and knelt at the altar that night. Nobody. That preacher probably thought, God, I've wasted my time. I studied in vain. I preached in vain. I prayed in vain. Nothing but a little shaggy-headed boy come up and got saved. So God wanted to incorporate with this great man, this little insignificant woman. Anybody know her name? Anybody know the name of the preacher? Isn't that amazing? We don't know their names, but we know the name of Dale Moody. Look how God positionally places people that some will be so renowned and others are the ones in the background. And if it was not for them, this one would not be near as renowned. Omar. His daddy's suspenders on went down there and knelt at the altar that night. Dwight Moody that sent a half a million souls to Jesus Christ. You see, that woman had something to do. It was for a purpose. She was made a washwoman 
for a purpose. But we think, that ain't important. It is to God. A farmer, that ain't important. It is to God. Don't despise where God has got you, but serve your purpose. Yes, it's not for us to say, well, I want to be this and I want to be that. I'd rather be that. I'd rather be this. Now, come on. We're all humans here this morning. My, my. I hear folks sing and I think, wow, I wish I could sing like that. I hear brothers preach. And I say, I wish I could preach that way. I hate the way I preach. I do. If Carol's playing one of my sermons, if she don't automatically do it, I automatically do it. I can't stand to hear myself preach. I hate it. Hello, testing one, two. But I hear Brother Tim Preston. Prince of Preachers. Brother Ron, oh, Brother Darrell just got such ability to bring the word and bring such faith in that thing. Me. An old flat tire. You know, just. And I thank God, if I could take a little bit of Brother Tim, because Brother Tim, he's a good preacher. A little bit of Brother Ron, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and mix it all together, you'd have one genuine mess. Yes, Come on, saints. But you see, it's a great victory when we as the people of God can come to the place that we realize Almighty God makes no mistakes. Oh, my. Notice this in Romans 9, 11, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calls. Now we're talking about Jacob and Esau. So it had nothing to do with their free moral agency at all. Neither one of them had done good, neither had the other one done bad, but that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Ephesians 1.11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Oh my. What's this? Jesus never went to the cross and died for some haphazard affair. Perhaps maybe somebody might feel sorry because he died and so they come to get saved. God doesn't run his business like that. God runs his business by foreknowledge. Knowing before the world was ever formed who was his? His own. Amen. Notice we're in God's foreknowledge. We were saved before the foundation of the world. And Jesus come to die for those that God by his foreknowledge had elected. 
That's right. Oh my, that's the last one. Then that's the reason we're having revivals through America. Pulling with the nets everywhere and trying to sane out and sane out. That's ministers. But when the last ones took out, that's all of them. Friend, there may not be but one more fish left in China. There may not be but one more in Uganda. We don't know where they are, but thank God for God called men that's out there fishing and singing and doing what they're doing to try to reach. Praise be to God. Because when that last one in Uganda or that last one in Kenya or that last one in Elizabethan comes in and their name splashes beneath the blood of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And they are filled with the Holy Ghost the bride will go home. Why? Because we are called for an eternal purpose. Now think of it, you have an eternal purpose rather in your DNA. You have an eternal purpose from God and you also have a time purpose. Now some of you brothers are painters or farmers or you deal with converters or whatever. That's not an eternal purpose. There will be no junkyards in heaven. Praise the Lord. You brothers and sisters that paint, Jesus won't be hiring you to do no painting in heaven. Who wants to paint over Jasper? Right? There won't be no concrete being poured. Who wants to pour over gold? So your job here, Brother Fred, being a painter, you other, you being a nurse, Brother Keith, you'll, I mean, there won't be no need of you there, pal. There won't be no hospitals there. There'll be no ER. So being a nurse is not the eternal purpose, but it's in the loop of time that makes the eternal purpose. You see, there was a little hickey, Brother Ram said, his wife called it, that dropped out of the circle of eternity. But it's also eternity. It come down like this and then draped across and you realize we're over here and it's fixing to be pulled back up again before long. Being a housewife, being a farmer, being a painter, being whatever you are, that's in eternity. But that part of you will cease to exist one day. Praise God. But the eternal part will roll right on. What's this? I know folks around the message, I don't understand why, but some of them really struggle with this. It's because of tradition, basically. Well, notice he said, we throw a net and gather people and they come in. And the first thing you know, they get off and gone. Now, I don't know how many of your brothers or sisters in here today that fish. But it's unbelievable how many fish stories. For many people, the biggest one, the biggest one always gets off. Don't it, Leah? It always gets away. Well, there's a lot that get galled by the gospel. And they get off. But they're none of his. He don't lose his. Now you see, we draw more, we hear preach the word, and my, the singing is not, oh, the music was so good, oh, I felt the Lord pull on my heart, and they're in for six months or six years or whatever more, and then they go to looking toward the world this way and that way, but there ain't one rainbow trout that'll ever be lost out of the flock of God. There'll never be one of his eagles that'll ever be changed to some type of scavenger or a buzzard because he foreordained every one of them and every one of them will come in. Why? It's his purpose. 
No, we find people along the road on the Christian experience, and many of them, you find people who just simply can't seem like grasp onto the thing. They have their ups and downs, and one day you find them, they're on the housetop, praising God. The next day you find them, they're all down on what we call, excuse the expression, down on the dumps, way down, low ebb, don't know where they're standing, don't even know whether they're saved or not. The next day they're pretty good shape. Maybe a week or two you find them back in the same shape again. I just wonder about those people. Ooh. Up, down, in, out, up, down. Not sure if they're even saved. I just wonder. Well, I don't mind telling you, I wonder with him. Notice again, Jesus come for one specific purpose. That was to redeem those that God foreknew would be redeemed. Now, God's not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance, but in order to be God. Amen. He had to know. Now, the word predestinate is in Ephesians 1, 5. Predestinate, it isn't a good word. It means in speaking of predestination to people sometimes, leads them to think that God just predestinated you to push you through a little pipe. That's not right. Predestination looks back to foreknowledge, and foreknowledge looks to destiny. Predestination looks back to foreknowledge, and foreknowledge looks to destiny, and the church said. Now this is that eternal part that God foreknew about every one of his children. Again, listen to this. The church is a predestinated church. Every name that was ever put on that book, Jesus come to redeem. And when the last name is redeemed, the book is closed. Now, he didn't intend that no one would be lost, but his foreknowledge let him know who would be lost. Therefore, he could predestinate, and then their names were put on the book. Then when that book of redemption is closed and sealed with seven seals, while it's being worked out by the mysterious powers of God. And someday when the book of redemption is finished, don't you understand the book of redemption, what it is? It ain't some book in a library. It ain't ain't even the seven seal book. The book of redemption is the names of the children of God. It's the Lamb's book of life. It's being worked out by the mysterious powers of God. Amen. Notice what happens someday when the book of redemption is finished. The lamb takes it. Then the last name is called off of that. The lamb comes forward to call what he has redeemed. Once that lamb comes and he changes his costume from the lamb to become the king. What's he call him? He's got the family album under his arm as we'd say. Amen. Glory to God. Notice Ephesians 3.10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Second Timothy 1.9, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus. The night you come up to the altar and got saved, or whenever that preacher 
before the world began. So here we are in life, King, this dormant seed until we're born again. Wondering, what do I want to be? Maybe you're a boy and you, you see boxing or you see wrestling, magazines or TV or something. Or you see somebody working on a computer and you say, I, I want to be a computer guy. I want to be a geek. And God says, no, I want you to be a preacher, but you can still do Greek. <laughs> Strong's concordance. And you say, I don't want to be a preacher. God said, I don't remember asking you. Now you think, you talk about fair. People, you know, they say, oh, everything fair, fair. Can you imagine God calling a preacher? God doesn't even ask you if you want to be a preacher. God's got five aspects of the ministry that he could put you in. He don't even ask you which one of them you want. He calls you to be a preacher before the world ever began. He begins to mold you when you're a young man or a young boy. And then he already chooses which office that you're going to be into. And then God don't even say, is this okay with you? Are we in harmony with this? But God says, I've called you God. I don't want to go. Shut up. Don't make no difference. What do you want, God? What do you want me to do? Preach. No, God, I didn't mean that. I'm, I'm, I'm now relating to you what I told God when God started dealing with me as just a boy. I started preaching when I was 18 years old. Every time I'd go to God in prayer, prayed a lot. Went up in the woods and prayed. Just prayed a lot. Spent a lot of time with the Lord. Every time I'd go, every time I'd go, oh, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? Preach my word. No, God, I can't. You said that. No, no, no. I don't want to be no preacher. Please, God. Finally, I submitted. Oh, my. I regretted it. No, the regrets I have is because I failed him so many times. Do I think I'm a good preacher? Absolutely not. Do I hope by the grace of God there will be trophies and successes for the kingdom of God once I get there? I do hope and I believe there will be. But am I a preacher by my choice? No. Am I a preacher because I can't do anything else? No. Am I a preacher because he wanted me to be? Yes, 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 yes. Am I a preacher because I finally submitted to it. Amen. I did submit to it, but it wasn't what I wanted. Notice this. There's so many people that doesn't seem to have any kind of purpose in life. Especially in this day that we now live. People just seem to think all they have to do is keep up with somebody else. It's sad that a lot of folks are still the same way. So-and-so gets a new house and they can't be outdone. They've got to have one bigger. So-and-so gets a certain, certain car and boy, they can't be outdone. They've got to have one that's faster and shinier and brighter and prettier and oh, they can't be outdone. You still ain't found your purpose yet. That's not what life is all about. There'll always be somebody that's got a bigger house than you. There'll always be somebody that's got a more expensive vehicle than you. There'll always be somebody that can sing better, jump better, shout better, hop better, whatever you do that you're good at. I guarantee in the world there's many people that's better at it than you are. But there's one thing nobody will ever be able to be better at than you, and that is when you find what you are, and you are so committed to what God wants you to be, you give him your all, nobody can compete with that. 
Nobody, oh, praise God. Nobody but the Keith will ever be able to be better than that because there's only one Keith Yards. Thank God. There's only one Donnie Reagan. Thank God. God didn't want a whole bunch of clones. There's only one Jim Bad. There's only one of you. Oh, there's other Donnie Reagans. I know by that name. But there's only one that's called to be what I'm called to be. And nobody else can take my place and nobody can take yours. Oh my, notice this. He says, so with the fashions of the world, the enticements of the world. Just like this, if you go to school and some of the little girls wear a certain frock, because we don't even use this word anymore, or a dress, whatever you'd call it. All the ambition of the rest of the school has to pattern after that girl. Well, human beings ain't changed so much since 1958. That's when this was preached. Some of the women seen on the television, certain lady come out and dressed in a certain fashion, well, their ambition is to dress like that. Friends, folks ain't changed. So you see somebody on TV that's got purple hair on this side of their head and a pink stripe down this side and black and white polka dots on this side. And people look at us and say, that is so cool. Oh, I'd love to have green hair. God meant for grass to be green and leaves on trees, not people's heads. Praise the Lord. But people sit and say, oh, 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 I can't wait to be like that. And then they get it and they think, well, it ain't as cool as I thought it was. I guess no, my people's going. Wouldn't you hate for that to be the height of your ambition? To keep up with the Joneses. Or in our church, the Yonces, or the Balls, or the Reagans, or the Smiths, or whoever else. I love every one of you, but I'm not trying to keep up with any of you. You're not my example. Don't make me your image. You don't want to be like me. You want to be like Jesus Christ. You don't want to be like Harry. You don't want to be like this brother, that sister, that brother. You want to say, God, what do you want me to be? God, I want to be the best that I can be for your cause. Why would you settle for so much less to be like me when God wants you to be like you? What is it, friends? It's because we look at God's thought of us and we think somehow that thought is flawed. If it could strike your heart today, God don't want Scott to be like Donnie. God don't want Fred to be like Michael or or to be like Larry Elliott or to be like Jim Hughes or be like this brother, that brother. But God wants you to be the way he made you. And you submit. Oh my. But what do we do? We compare. We compare. Oh, glory to God. I'm the only one in the church that worships like this. We wait to get a little older than I am and you'll slow down too. Well, hallelujah, glory to God, I'm more spiritual than everybody else in the church. He said, what you're doing? You're using yourself as the measuring rod. And the truth of it is, and you used to get drunk, you used to dance the same way. 
Yeah, when you went to soccer, when you went to baseball, you done the exact same thing. It's your makeup. It's not that you're so much more spiritual than others. Others will stand there and wave their hands and cry like a baby, and God accepts their worship just as much as he does those of you that are dancing around in circles. Why? Because that's the way he made us. He loves diversity. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Notice this. He says, some of the women on television see some certain lady come out dressed in a certain fashion. Well, that's their ambition is to dress and act like that. And it seems that just to be about the limit of the American ambition is to get a new job or get a raise in your salary or to get a television or a new car. Wow. Oh, we're going to get a boat. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're getting a new car. We're getting, we're getting, we're getting, we're getting. Is, is this what we're, we're talking about? We're getting? Are we getting more faith? Are we getting more love? Are we getting more patience? Or is it just about what we can buy? How many payments we can have? Some of our brothers in the message, they get under the inspiration of others. One brother gets a Harley. They all got to get their Hitler helmets and their leather jackets and their log chain wallets. I'm not against, against people riding motorcycles as long as you don't get under the spirit of somebody else. Somebody shout a certain way and somebody else in the church go to shout like them. That's, that's sin. You're trying to impersonate. Impersonation is wrong. Now, there's a couple of brothers here in our church that's got really nice motorcycles and what I understand. Can you imagine me buying a moped, which me and Harry used to have one whenever we was a little boys. Can you imagine me pulling up on my little moped? <laughs> Looking up at them and saying, y'all ready? We're in a club. They got a Harley Davidson and they got this and that and the other. I got a Sears and Rareback moped. And boy, they take off and I guarantee you, they're gonna leave me sitting still. They don't want folks knowing I'm part of their club. But why is it we wanna be so much like others? when God put before us the greatest supreme person we could be like, the Lord Jesus. You know what it is? You think you can't be like him. You can relate better to some brother you go to church with or some uncle or some grandpa that you can be like him. You can be like him, but you can't be like Jesus. The devil is lying to you. God wants us to so ponder and meditate on him that we are changed into that image. Can I go a bit farther? Otis says, Abraham, just a man. 
with no certain purpose in life. What are you doing today, Abram? Oh, I'm working in my daddy's God shop. What do you do over at that God shop? Oh, we get people come in and are just clumsy as all get out and they drop them gods on the floor and I got to take them back there and super glue them and I've got to fix this and I sweep up the dust and, and what's your motive? I ain't really got one. What's your objective in life? I ain't really got one. I'm just kind of hanging around, you know, just hanging around. Just with his father and his friends. Well, don't that sound like a good life? You're with your father and your friends. But you have no divine purpose. This is a man that we all look to as one of the greatest heroes of the Bible. But look at his origination like mine. Like yours. Just with his father and his friends coming down from Babylon. They settled in the Shinar. They had a tower built and so forth. One day while Abraham was praying, no doubt he prayed through till he struck the hand of God. How did he do it? By faith. Perhaps he thought like this, if there's a God who made the ark and let Noah float through, he lives, he still lives today. Somewhere in the land of the heathens where he was sojourning, he touched the hand of God and in there, God give him a revelation that there was a city whose builder and maker was God. And there's something. He didn't need the seals. He didn't need the church ages. All he needed, Carol, was one thing directly from the hand of God. And that was, there is a city. And he thought, wow. There's a city. And it's not in the valley of Shinar. It's not in Mesopotamia. There is a city whose builder and maker is God. He said, well, well, I want to find it then. I got to find it. Look what it done. Totally turned this man's world upside down. And we read that all of Abraham's life, he was a pilgrim and a stranger to this world for his one ambition was to find that city whose builder and maker was God. So now, Brother Larry, he has a purpose. What are you doing? Hunting the city. What are you working for? The city. What are you living for? The city. What are you doing? What do you, why, why you live this way for? The city. And of course, the king. The king who lives in the city. Well, why do you keep on saying that? That's my one goal in life. My one purpose in everything else I do intertwines around that one purpose. Think of it. He didn't even have a written Bible. He had no tapes. He had no sermons. He had no preachers, no church to go to on Sunday morning to be encouraged he had no Brother Harvey, no Brother Louis, Brother Aaron, Brother Joel, no Brother Harry, no musicians, nobody there to encourage him. There was no message of the hour in the sense that we think of it, of tapes around the world and books around the world, but one man, one man that was looked at by the rest of the world and said, this man is crazy. I knew him before. He was so satisfied. He was so happy just hanging out. 
He just wouldn't look at him now. He goes here and he goes there and he prays and it's never enough. He talks to God and it's never enough. It seemed like the man is never satisfied. How can you be? How can you ever be satisfied once eternity strikes your soul? He struck something. He caught God. Praise God. He caught God. And the face and that God that he foresaw, the new Jerusalem. And he put his pack on his back and became a wanderer. Not just floating about without any purpose. He had faith that there was a city. Can't you see why, friends, God wants you to come to church? Can't you see why God wants you to have a church that you call your home church? Can't you see why God wants you to be responsible? What are you doing in life? Oh, nothing. What are you going to do in life? Nothing. What's your goal? None. What are you going to do for a vocation? Nothing. I'm going to let the government take care of me. Man, as long as them stimulus checks coming, I'm doing good. Or they're going to cut them off. I'm telling you, you better get your job. Well, I'm a Christian. I ain't got no motive. I say shame on you if you don't have a motive. If you have caught God, you have a motive. What is it, Brother Donnie? What is it? You're like Abraham. You're looking for the city. Let me close. He had a purpose in life. To find that place. And may I say here that one day when the battle was over, he met the king of that city and he gave him the communion, bread and wine, Melchizedek. Oh, you can't purpose anything of God's promise in your heart without finding the reality of it. If your soul has been tormented by sins and doubts and ups and downs and frustrations and there's something down in you that's telling you there's somewhere you can overcome that, why do you float around? Then from church to church, from place to place, just kneel down till you strike heaven. And as I said last night, go beyond the sound barriers. Then you'll have a purpose in life. You'll have a purpose in belonging to the church, not staying home. You'll have a purpose in being baptized. You'll have a purpose in what you're seeking for. May God help us. How many wants that with all of your hearts? Let's stand together. Oh, praise God. Let me read this other one while you're standing there, relaxing yourself just for a moment. Now, there's a time that a man can come to a place where he can have a purpose. It's something that will change him, and that is when a man meets God. A man can never be the same if he ever meets God face to face. That goes on in this quote to say, Noah had no certain purpose in life. He's fixing to save the world a few years down the road, but right now he just looks like a deadbeat. Homeless, lifeless, purposeless. Where are you going? Nowhere. Brother Emma said, his wife come into the room there at the house one day, said, Bill, 
There's a man that knocked on the door and he said he's hungry. He said, well, feed him. She said, well, I wasn't sure. He said, bring him in and feed him. So the man comes in and sits down at the table. Brother Bam goes to talking to him. Where are you going? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to amount to? I don't know. And then Brother Bam took that and said, that's the way so many people are in this day. They have no goal, no purpose, no motive. Spiritual bums. And they're hitchhiking. On this train is bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory, this train. And then we got some message hobos. Hitchhikers along the rail. Life's railway to heaven. They don't pray, they don't read their Bible, and listen to a tape in five years. But they all want to go to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven anymore, I reckon. I mean, the way that all preachers preach it, you know, everybody goes to heaven, life's live right, don't have to do anything, I'll go to heaven. You're deceived if you believe that. God has no hobos on this train. Everybody on this train has a ticket. And they've got a motive. They're going somewhere, they come from somewhere, and they're doing something along the way in their journey to get there. How many wants to do something for the Lord along the way? Think of it, friends, when we all stand there before Him, and all the people of God, it overwhelms me as I've stood in so many of the major cities of the world. Uh, My goodness, you just get the population of Bombay, millions in that one city, now called Mumbai, and, and standing in Hong Kong and Shenzhen, China, different places of the world. And I sat there at the airport and you look at tens of thousands and thousands of people going here and there. You're saying, where are they all going? Do they know truth? Have they ever heard truth? And you think when it's all said and done and we all stand before God and you walk up before the Lord for rewards to be given out. And the book is open. The book of your life. What did you do? Wouldn't it be awful to stand there that day? Well, I see you got saved. You didn't read your Bible no more often than that. But God, I was interested in making money. And where is that now? There'll be no gold brought from the earth. There'll be no fine mansions on a hillside brought from the earth to heaven. You're sending before you now your works. We don't do works for reward. We do works because we love Him. His reward is grace. Brother Ben said, when I stand before Him that day and He gives me a reward, He said, not what I did, but what He bought for me. I don't want to stand there myself empty-handed to you. And all of our life is based on us. I want, I want, me and mine and ours and me and mine and ours. Oh, but let us live lives that are worthy of this gospel. Your purpose, my friends, if God has sent you here, I speak to the local folks, if God has sent you here to Happy Valley, you are a part of this church. 
If we go to lift an offering for overseas missions or to help on a building, and, and you may not be able to give but $5, don't you be ashamed because of that $5. Somebody else might be able to give $10,000 or $50,000. They're giving out of their abundance. You may be giving out of your need. And you say, oh, I'm ashamed to give it. I'm ashamed. Don't be ashamed. If that's what God's give you, then give it with all of your heart. Or say, I don't don't come to church. I don't really do that much. I don't do that much. Brother Donnie, I wish I could help you. You can. Be attentive. Look at me. Don't sit there and look at your watch while I'm preaching. Don't sit there and play with your young ones while I'm preaching. You can help me. You can say amen. You can smile. Even if I'm whooping the fire at you, ouch, oh, amen, amen, Lord. At least I know you're in the same channel with me. You can help me. You can help the song leader. You can clap your hands. You can get in the service. You are helping the body. We are a body. But you see, some folks are almost like an amputated arm. Now, you imagine this morning if somehow by accident this part of my arm was removed from the rest of my body. It's laying on the pulpit. My fingers are still twitching the blood's oozing out of here and, and here. You know enough about it to know it won't be long. That arm will be dead. Why? It's detached from the body. I need you, but that's only half the story. You need me. You need your brothers and sisters. You don't just need me as your pastor. You need the folks you go to church with. We need the ministry in, in, in the Congo. We need the ministry in Kenya. We need our brothers and sisters in India. We need our brothers and sisters around the world. Is that right, saints? Men, women, boys, girls, find your purpose, friends. And put your pack on your back and say, what are you doing? I'm looking for a city. What are you going to do to you get there? Well, I'm a housewife. I'm going, to bake the best, I'm going to make the best scrambled eggs that you ever eat in your life. My young ones are just going to think I'm the greatest cook in the world because I'm going to put forth my effort because I use this and I use that and I use this and I use love in every recipe. I use faithfulness. I use commitment in every recipe. And sister, some of you that think, Brother Don, I've never even led nobody to the Lord. I've never really led anybody. And you think you'll stand before him that day and say, God, I, I never. And God will say, your pastor was under such a load. Remember, I woke you up at 2.30 in the morning and I placed him on your heart. He was so weary that he thought he couldn't go any farther. But I burdened you for him. And your prayers went into the room where he was and lifted his hands up higher. And he come to the church and preached a, a message that was such an encouragement to people. And it was because you did your part. Get your eyes off the great people, the big people, the important people. All of God's people are important. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I realize this has been very simple today. God, I pray that you would help each of us. I feel like, Father, that I've found my purpose. 
And I know the mystery of our life. It's, it's like the Word that it keeps on unfolding itself as we walk and we journey on. One day, if time will tarry, I'll reach, I'll reach my plateau, as it were, and I'll start fading down from that time. Folks will no longer want me to come and preach conventions no more because I got too old or I don't remember the scriptures or I don't remember the quotes. Time will go on. Eventually the church here, Lord, will have to replace me. They'll need to get somebody else. But I'll just enter into another phase of my life. We know that Abraham was still alive when the glory of God had shined upon Isaac. As a matter of fact, Abraham was still alive when the glory of God had moved from Isaac to Jacob. Abraham was still alive living in his tent. But yet the Bible does not mention anything about him. The Bible does not say he was still having visions, but he was still there faithful. What's he doing? Got his pack on his back. He can't walk as much as he used to. His vision may have got dim, but he's still looking for the city. And now he had one more reason to press him on. Sarah had moved into the city as well. So really, age doesn't stop us. Doesn't hinder us in that respect. We just refocus what strength we have. We utilize it for your economy. What abilities we have. So help us, Lord God, each today. Some young men standing here, Lord, mind their teens and their early 20s. Help them not to wait till they get their 30s and their 40s to completely submit their lives to you. Help them, Lord God, not to waste years, but help them to commit everything they are right here this morning. Maybe there's some that have regrets, older people, and they think, oh my, I've wasted so much of my life. Well, we can start from today. Abraham, 75 years old, when you come to him, a lot of his life was wasted, we might say. But Lord God, when you made yourself known to him, he started from that point on and packed his pack and started out on his journey. Move across this building today, Father, from the young to the old. Lord God, around the world, those who are streaming and are archived, Father, in the name of Jesus, there may be an old daddy sitting there and he's sitting thinking, God, what have I ever done? All I've ever done is hardled across these old clods. I plowed them and had just a, just a small living from a family. Lived in this modest home. Had a modest living. I ain't never really had a great burden, Father, as far as going out to preach. I ain't no preacher, ain't no singer. But maybe that man would father a son who would father a son who would father a son. And that one would be a message preacher that you might raise up and send him all over the world. And that grandfather, that great-grandfather, that great-grandfather was absolutely essential in the program of God. Help us today, Father, I pray. Maybe there's more here like me that if they were called on today to give their life story, it would not be great. Oh my, certainly if anybody was looking for a man to make a movie about, they certainly wouldn't want my life. 
they wouldn't have enough to write a forward in the beginning of the book, much less several hundred pages. Maybe there's others who feel like the same thing today that if my life story was being written, nobody would find it interesting. There wouldn't be enough to write. I've never done much. But Lord God, we're called by you. You don't have no junk. You don't make no trash. Every one of us are of vital importance. Minister to us today, Father, I pray. That young man, young woman, older brother, older sister. Maybe some father have veered away from the call. They veered away from the consecrated place you wanted them to be. May the Spirit of God touch every heart, Lord. Grant it, Lord Jesus. Grant it, I pray, Father. In Jesus Christ's name. Oh, blessed be the Lord God. Take our lives today, Father. Maybe if all of us here, Lord, aren't great people, and we aren't, and we aren't important people, maybe our story, it'll have to all be compiled together. All of us together, we mind up, might wind up making one good little short story. But that's okay with us. Men like Brother Branham had books and books and books written about him, and the devil still hates him so bad, they're still writing books against him. And that shows he's still a threat. It shows us, Lord, they hate this message worse than any message on the face of the earth. People love Islam. They absolutely love it. They make excuses for him, and yet... In their own Koran, they teach them to hate, they teach them to lie, they teach them to kill the Jews, they teach them to kill the infidels, which is what we are, and yet the people of this age love them and embrace them. And yet, Father, you sent a prophet to the earth that taught love and forgiveness and mercy. He has more hatred against him by preachers, by churches, by former followers than the Catholic Church does. It shows this message is the greatest threat that hell still has on the earth. And those who join up with that allegiance we show where their homeland is, hell. Father, we're, we're born from our homeland, heaven. Praise be to God, because our Father said, Behold, I send unto you Elijah the prophet. Hallelujah, we were on the earth lost, didn't know what in the world was going on, blind, didn't know how to serve you. But whenever we got saved and the evening light struck our path, we said, behold, I receive Elijah the prophet. Amen. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We got a couple of requests here that's been turned in. Pray for Brother Jack Yonts having surgery in the morning at 10 o'clock. Also, pray for Brother Jack's sister, Joyce Rumley, taken to the hospital after a mild stroke. She's doing much better, but desires prayer. How many of you have a special request, special need on your heart? Can we just take it before the Lord right now? Heavenly Father, we pray for Brother Jack, Lord. You see this need in his body. Father God, I ask you, that you'd be with him in the surgery, Lord. May it be a success, Father. Lord, I pray for his sister Joyce that you would just move for her, Lord God. 
You see this need in her body? Lord, we thank you that she's doing some better. But Father, we just pray for a complete recovery. Lord, I want to thank you for being with Michael Carter, having his surgery done on Wednesday. The doctor's been able to go in there, Lord, and remove a portion of his liver and take that tumor out of it, Father. Now doing the pathology reports to make sure that it's not anywhere else in his body. If it be pleasing to you, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, may it come back a good report, Lord God. Lord, we pray also for the needs of our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, would you minister to the sick? Would you minister to those who are weary? Maybe you'd minister to those, Father, that feel down and just kind of weary. Lord, they're doing their purpose and they really don't know what any more that they can do. But they're just kind of down today and a little bit weary in life. I pray you would encourage them, would you, Father? Give us strength and courage and hope in the name of Jesus. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. We worship you, Lord. Sing something for us, Harry. Let's just worship him together now for just a little bit before we go. May we walk out of this place today, no matter what you're called to be, may you reevaluate that which God has placed in your soul and realize that has much more value than the size of what you'll do for him. But it's what he deposited in you. And you make up your mind, I'm going to be faithful to him no matter what. I know some of you sisters have lost your husbands. Some of you brothers lost your wives and you're looking at life and think, what am I to do? And I always tell the widows and the widowers basically in the same direction, you know, your sisters, you live your life around one man for so many years and you serve that man and you do everything you know to do for that man. And then God in his wisdom takes that man out of your life and you think, I'm lost. I have no more purpose. I have nothing to live for. No, sis. That's not true. Your husband was a great portion of your purpose in life, but you are purposed as an individual, not just purposed with your husband alone. But now you reevaluate, you refocus. What does God want me to do from this point on? And if you pray and you seek him, you'll find there is something there that he has. Maybe it's to be a help to some other sisters that are in a similar place that you are. Maybe it's to be able to spend a little bit more time in prayer because now you don't have your husband to be able to take care of. Each of us has that purpose in life. Don't you want to find it, friends? What about you young folks? You brothers, you want to find your purpose? You young sisters, you want to find that purpose. What about you older folks? What about you Medicare folks? You can tell when you're around old people, you know, and you get around to go to fellowship and they go to talking about their meds and their milligrams. The young people, you know, they're going out and play volleyball and, you know, some folks have been talking about whenever we get our new facility get done that we'll go over and have suppers and dinners and once a month we'll meet over there and we'll be able to just everybody stay around that wants to stay after church and eat and have fellowship. And, you know, some say, well, we can play basketball. And I said, well, I, for folks like my age, I think we're going to have wheelchair races. <laughs> Everyone must be required to wear a seatbelt, though. 
What do we do? We change the way we look at things. Oh, Brother Donnie, are you about ready to retire? Are you kidding me? I got at least two or three more years, surely. Well, ain't you getting discouraged because you're so old? By no means. I've got a greater desire than I've ever had in my life. I ain't got near as much strength to carry it out, but I'm still journeying on for the Lord Jesus. We're never gonna stop, friends. We're never gonna stop until we finish it. Sing, Harry. God bless you, saints. I love you so much. Take these Oh, grant it, Lord. Lift them up. Grant it, Lord. I have not the strength to praise you near enough. For I have nothing. Oh, God. I am nothing without you. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Take my voice. Pour it out. Let it sing the songs of mercy I have
His, his will for our lives. That's our greatest desire this morning. Let's just sing this little chorus. Nothing's too big for my God. Let's sing that as you're dismissed this morning. Oh, nothing's too big for my God. Oh, nothing's too big for my God. Oh, I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm not going to be depressed. Oh, nothing's too big for God when I'm in His rest. Oh, there's nothing too big for my God. Oh, no, there's nothing too big for my God. 
problem Bigger than my God can solve Never has there been a question Baffling the mind of God He's given us the power To rise above our enemies Nothing's too big for God No impossibility Yeah.